Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. When I was in Bible school, they said that a preacher is to preach like a rifle and not like a shotgun. You know what that means? That a, a, a rifle, you have one point, you drive home, it's one bullet. A shotgun, you kind of spray them with truth. Well, I'm going to violate the rules of preaching this morning. And I got some buckshot. So I'm just going to kind of spray some stuff out there and we'll see where this lands. But uh, I believe the Lord wants to speak to us this morning. And more than that, I believe he wants to impart something for us. He wants to give something to us. And so let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your people. And I thank you for your word. Now, Lord, I ask that your presence would be on your word and you'd release it to us. Lord, let your word come with great power and let it motivate us and shift us. Lord, let it shift our perspective that we would see from your perspective and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, I tell you what, that thing about the two ecclesias, I'd never thought about that until this morning in worship. And uh, there, is a, there is a counterfeit ecclesia that the enemy has. And uh, ecclesias are for change. And the enemy loves to uh, mobilize people uh, in their anger and their frustration and, and pull them out, have them take the bait and move out in their flesh. And, uh, you know, we as the people of God can do the same thing. We've got to be careful. Uh, it's like what we were talking about last week. Whereas heaven inhabits our praise, heaven inhabits our complaints. We can get into slanderous accusation and the enemy will actually inhabit that and ride our words. He will use our words because you have been delegated authority by the Most High God. The world has been delegated to you. Psalm chapter 8. And even though we forfeited that in the fall, it's been restored to us in Ephesians chapter 1. All things have been put under Christ, comma, for his church, the fullness of him. And so when you say things, your words carry weight because you have delegated, you are authorized, you have authority, and your words carry weight in the spiritual realm. And you can actually give permission slips to the demonic realm to work. If he can entice you to speak words of anger and words of uh, slanderous accusation, he can ride those things and he has permission by an authoritative son or daughter of God to carry out his works. And so we've got to be so very careful. Your words were meant to be the marching orders for the angelic. Praise him, O you angels, you who obey the voice of his word. The angelic stand in waiting. I was just over with Andre Brooks on Friday. I called my brother and I said, Andre, I need your perspective on all that's going on. I so respect Apostle Andre. And, and so I went over to his new church building I need to tell you about. And uh, we just... Uh, visited for several hours and then prayed and the spirit of God fell and it was glorious. And I don't even remember why I brought him. Oh, I remember why it was because we were praying over his new building. And uh, while we're in this new building, he said, pastor, he said, oh, man, would you pray over us? And uh, it was like bubbling up in me. I was about ready to say, we got to pray. And he, so he asked me, so we started praying and man, the spirit of God just fell in that place. And what I felt was a bunch of un 
unemployed angels that have been waiting for a very long time that were assigned to that very place. There are angels that are assigned to physical locations, geographical locations. You remember Jacob, where he took the nap and, he, and when, he, when, he took it, when he was asleep, he saw angels ascending and descending? Note that they ascended before they descended. Why? Because they were angels assigned to the earth. They weren't dropping out of heaven, bringing things from heaven. They were on the earth, bringing things from the earth up into the heavens and then bringing it back. It's like they were aiding in the declarations. And so uh, there were, I, I had this sense of these angels just so excited they were here. And I began to pray that out. And Andre started shouting. He said, you have no idea. Uh, just what they've been feeling in that place. They got this building. Uh, they, uh, there, was the, there was a large Presbyterian church, Highland Park Presbyterian church. It's almost 40,000 square feet of building. It has a sanctuary that seats between five and 800 people. It has another smaller sanctuary that's beautiful wood paneled uh, stained glass windows. It's got a gymnasium. It's got a commercial kitchen. I mean, I was jealous. I had to deal with my own heart. They had this big dining hall and it's, there were so many rooms. They just kept saying, oh, we don't know what we're going to do with this one. And this one's going to be this. We're going to tear the walls out here. And they've got vision for this place. And I'm telling you, God gave them that building to make an impact and they they are God's preemptive strike to what the enemy's trying to do right now. And uh, so anyway, we're, we're talking, and he shared with me how this came about. They had, they had wanted $1.2, $1.3 million for this building. And I'm telling you, it would have been a deal at that. It really would have. And uh, that's what they wanted. But Andre offered them 300000 and of course, they, they wouldn't take that. Uh, unbeknownst to him, they had, among the presbytery, the Presbyterian presbytery, they had made a decision we won't take anything less than 600,000. And that would have been a heck of a deal. But Andre felt the Lord said, offer him five. So we did. And Andre was on an elevator with this gentleman that was going to go and speak to them. He was part of the presbytery. And the Lord told him, you have, a, you have a few minutes in the elevator to sell this thing. And so Andre just shared with him, this is our vision. And uh, that man went into the group and he told him, he said, listen, I've only felt God on two people in my entire life. One when I was a little boy and the second one was that man in the elevator. He said, we need to sell him at 500 grand. Well, that's great, but they didn't have a half a million dollars <laughs> until they gathered on Sunday and somebody put a check in the offering plate, $500,000. Thing is paid in full. My jaw dropped. Thought, man, put, put your hands on my head, Andre. Release that. A, a half a million dollar check. He said it came from, he, he said, it, it, it's not someone you would have expected to do that, but a half a million dollars in the offer. So they own it clean, clear and free. And uh, I tell you what, we're, we, we have this saying, he and I always talk about when it rains on Heartland, Kingdom life gets wet. When it rains on kingdom life, then Heartland gets wet. We're connected in, in spirit. And so, uh, man, we are, we're invested in their, their success. And even more so, I just feel the Lord on this thing. And so when this whole thing erupted, I thought, I need to call my brother and ask him. Because being a, being a black pastor, he has experiences and perspectives that I do not understand. There, I have, I've never lived life as a black man in America. There are things that I've never experienced. 
And so I reached out to him and, and uh, I said, Andre, I need your read on this thing. And, and Andre, he, he said, before I tell you, he said, I want to tell you a couple stories. He said, back in the 70s, there was a race riot in Des Moines. He said, you can look it up. He said, it was me and my three cousins who were the instigators of that race riot. He said, I hated Caucasian people because of how they treated us. And he began to tell me stories of, of uh, wrong that they had been, been the recipient of, even on the part of law enforcement. He said, I hate it. And then he began to cry. He said, but that's not who I am today. And he said, I tell our people, he said, we are not going to burn down bridges that we've spent years building over some foolish act in another state. And uh, several times he just began to weep as he was sharing and he was talking about how he's such close friends with many of the sergeants on the police force, with the chief of police. And uh, it, was, it was just so good for me to hear and hear his perspective. And, and uh, if, you, if some of you saw on, on uh, Facebook that uh, Andre did go down Friday night and he was standing between the police and the rioters and defending them and being that, that go-between. And it really was a prophetic act. You know, the word intercessor literally means to stand between. It means someone that stands between. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate intercessor. He stands between heaven and earth and he connects them. He's the God man. Before man, he represents God. And before God, he represents man. And they find their union literally in his flesh. He is the intercessor. He ties heaven and earth together. And he's called you and I to do the same. And so here is Andre, a black pastor who has suffered wrong at the, at the hands of others, even law enforcement. And he's standing as a black pastor defending the police and reaching out to these young people that are just angry. And then there's other people that are instigating. There's, there's a lot of people that are gathering just to express their desire to see change. Then there's others that are instigators trying to leverage that. And that is always the way of the enemy. The enemy loves to take your anger and pull you outside the bounds. What does scripture say? Be angry and sin not. Anger is not a sin. Sin is a sin. Don't, Dan Muller has this great phrase, don't let sin against you produce sin in you. Don't let sin against you produce sin in you. And so we can be concerned, we can be frustrated, we can be angry. But the answer is to be an intercessor. And in order to be an intercessor, the one that stands between the two groups of people, we have to be people who walk in love. The answer is love. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love believes all, it endures all things. It believes all things. Now that's a stretch. Think about that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love believes or trusts, it trusts at all times or it believes all things. Does that mean that love is naive and gullible? No, it's not what it's saying. It's saying that love takes a posture, it takes a stand and it says, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, but I'm going to give the best possible interpretation of what you are doing right now. 
I'm going to try to give the I'm going to try to give you the benefit of the greatest doubt right now and try to give reason for what you're doing. It's not endorsing bad behavior, but it's trying to get inside their skin and understand why they're doing what they're doing. Love believes all things. It always trusts. It perseveres through all things. It it always hopes. It always holds out hope for the greatest good at the end. That is love. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to polarize people. He wants to polarize the body of Christ. He wants to polarize our nation. He wants you to get pick sides and people be pitted against one another. And the danger is that we start letting fling statements that we don't, we have no concept of. We don't understand. I cannot imagine being a police officer right now in this climate. I've got a brother-in-law that is a police officer and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned for him. I'm very much concerned for him. I've never been a police officer and I can't imagine being a man that's, that's carrying that responsibility under the cloud of this happening up in Minneapolis. I've never been a black man. I've never been, uh, I've never been an eth- ethnic minority. Any, well, when I've traveled overseas and usually, man, they, they treat you like you're a king because A, you're from the United States and I go as a preacher and so they're just very honoring I've never been in that perspective. There is a inherited narrative and then very real experiences that validate that inherited narrative that a lot of people are growing up with. And you and I as white people look at that, we don't understand. And we say, why do you always make it about race? But they have experiences that tell them Often it is. And sometimes they will look at things and they will think it's race and it's not. But it's because of their experiences. Sometimes it's that that white guy's just a jerk to everyone. It's not racially motivated. He's just a jerk. You know, you can be a jerk and not be racist. You're just a jerk. You know? But the fact is, because it matches their history, their experiences, it validates that and establishes that. And we need, to, we need to pray and cry out to God for our black brothers and sisters. We need to pray and cry out to God for the other ethnicities that come under that thing. Because you and I simply do not understand. And it would be arrogant for us to say, yes, I do. Because no, you don't. And I have to believe, you know what? There's things that they've experienced. There's, there's things, there, there, there's a lens through which they look at because of how they've, they've been treated throughout their life and the culture in which they were raised that I have no understanding of. And so I need to be very careful in lobbying advice. I need to first try to be someone that stands between I need to be very gracious with police officers right now. Man, I can't, I can't imagine. You know what? I don't know what motivated that police officer up in Minneapolis. I don't know what was motivating him to do that. All I know is that his life just came to an end. He lost his job. His wife just filed for divorce. And he is facing many years in prison. And we need to be praying for that man. I don't know what was going on in his heart. None of us do. 
We don't know his perspective. The fact is when you are a police officer dealing with people again and again, you get compassion fatigue and all of a sudden you get calloused. It can happen to us in ministry. It can happen to us in in relating to our children and it can sure happen to somebody that is dealing with criminals all the time. So much so that at times they treat people that aren't criminals and I don't know what was going on in that situation. I don't know. But you can treat people that aren't criminals as criminals because of compassion fatigue. And you can go too far and never intend to do something and all of a sudden you did one stupid thing and your life is over. And we need to be praying. We need to be those who stand between. We need to be those that are praying for this police officer and those other men and that whole police force in Minneapolis and the police force here because they are taking on the chin things that they didn't do. They're not responsible for the action of someone up there, but they're being made responsible. And the fact is there's a lot of young black men that are being made responsible for things they didn't do. It was because of some experience some police officer had or someone else had. I remember years ago sitting with the mentor. This man is one of the most humble men of God I know. He is not arrogant. He's not, he's not, he's not classically a judgmental person. I know this person very well. This was many decades ago. I was sitting with him and I remember a young black man drove up in a Corvette, parked way out from the store so no one would scratch his car, which is what I would do if I owned a Corvette. (laughs) Did you feel that? I felt the shift in the atmosphere. I felt faith enter the room. Let's just pray right now. No. uh, Anyway, he was sitting there and this minister friend of mine said, He said, look at that young man. Well, you know where he got the money for that car. Now, I was in my early 20s. I didn't say anything, but I remember even then being shocked. Think, wow, that's really the conclusion? And I'm telling you, this man, you would never, that's not even the way this man acts. But there was something in him that said that. Because there's a narrative that he's bought into. And I'm telling you, there are narratives that are going around and all of a sudden we take the action of one and impose it on the many. And that's what the enemy loves to do. I remember years ago reading a, a, a speech. It was the, uh, the notes from a convocation of slave owners. And they had invited a slave master, a very successful slave owner, into address all these slave owners because they were concerned about an uprising. And here was the content of his message. He said, what we need to do is we've got to divide them and cause infighting among our slaves so they'll never have the capacity to turn on us. He said, so what you got to do is you got to tell the field slaves that the house slaves are living in the lap of luxury while you're doing all the work. And then you got to tell, he, 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 this is the language he used. He said, you got to turn the darkies against the, light, the light-skinned ones. You got to cause them to, to feel like they're, they're separated and there's something wrong with them and just turn people in on themselves and divide and conquer. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do to our nation. And he wants to do it to the church. It is not a coincidence. I'll tell you, this is a prophetic moment in human history that we as a nation have been in a forced quarantine like the disciples were sent to the upper room for 10 days. Jesus said 
shelter in place, disciples, for the next 10 days. He didn't tell them how long. He said, tarry until you've been endued with power. The Lord spoke to me this morning. He said, shelter in the holy place. Shelter under his wings. I want you to shelter in place. Find your place in him. And they were quarantined. They were cordoned off and they were just alone and they were, they were praying and crying out. And in that room were various political views. There was a zealot. You know what zealots were? They were people who were saying, we're gonna overthrow Roman rule through military uprising. They were like guerrilla warfare. They were gonna, they were gonna overthrow Rome through military force. And then you have Matthew, the tax collector. You know what he was doing? He was collecting taxes for the very regime that Simon the Zealot wanted to overthrow by military force. And these guys are stuck together with 118 other people and they're praying and they're crying out to God. They're, they're waiting for the blessing. There was men and women. And it's interesting, the text of Matthew chapter 2 is very clear that Mary and the other women were there. It explicitly says that because that isn't necessarily taken for granted in that culture because there was this gender division. And most people accuse Paul, his writings about women as being this misogynist, this woman hater, when in actuality, Paul was a radical liberator of women. He told husbands, you love your wife. And they're like, what are you talking about? Because women were just property you own. And Paul said, you, you love her. Peter said, you dwell with her according to knowledge, lest God not answer your prayers. And God was all about dividing these. As a matter of fact, some people, they look at the New Testament, they say, well, the, you know, the Bible endorses slavery because Paul never preached against it. You know what Paul did? Paul called for a revolution that would literally overthrow it and make it irrelevant. What he did is he said, slaves, obey your masters as you're obeying the Lord. And masters, remember, you also share a master with your slave. So you better treat them well. And what he did is he collapsed this whole thing and made them family. He didn't have to confront the institution. The institution would crumble wherever the gospel took root. Because they became family. I really believe that whereas we were reconciled to God at Calvary, the disciples were reconciled to each other during those days of prayer in the upper room. Can you imagine spending day and night for 10 days with 120 people? Some were flaming liberals and some were conservatives, you know, and they're, I mean, they're having to live with each other and pray. Hey, some of you know how it's been just with you and your family. I keep telling my wife as I've been home, hey, this is what it's going to be when I'm retired. I'm all around, always around. She's looking at me like, you're getting another job, buddy. <laughs> I came out of my office the other day. She said, you come out of there a lot. <laughs> it's like, I come, I've noticed something about my wife. I'll come down in the morning and I want to talk. Hey, Kath, what you want? Looking at what you doing? She just looks at me like, get your coffee and go back upstairs. She's not used to me being around. And we're married. We chose each other. Can you imagine being the disciples? But they had to work through those things. And they were in one accord. They were brought into unity. 
and the spirit was poured out. What the enemy means for bad, God means for good. And what we have got to do, every one of us, me, me included. Listen, I'm preaching to myself. I've been preaching to myself for the last few days. What we have to do is we have to suspend our judgment and realize that there are things we do not know. I don't know the motives. I don't know the history. I haven't had the experiences of people on either end of this thing. I'm not called to choose sides. I'm called to one who stands between. And I represent them both. And I cry out to God, God, reunite this thing, Lord. God, Lord, we're asking that you bring peace. Lord, that you just quell this thing. And Lord, that you bring love. We're not called to make, and, and it's so easy for us to make from our perspective and our own history, make judgment calls. And if we're not careful, we can end up being like Peter, cutting off the ears of the people that were supposed to hear us. Because we do so and arrogantly think that we understand things we don't understand. These things are so complex This is, we, have, we have a mess that only God can fix. And what we need to do is we need to be the go-betweens. We're crying out to God. We're crying out to God. I am praying against the instigation of the enemy who loves to cause sin against us to produce sin in us. And there are people who have, who have partnered with the enemy that are instigating violence and, and uh, you know, uh, destruction And we need to pray that the real enemy be dealt with. The real enemy who is the enemy. And that God would collapse that thing and that thing would begin to... uh, We're going to pray before we leave this morning that as the true ecclesia, we are going to release a cease and desist order to the enemy. He can't have our city. We are the ecclesia. This thing has been given to us. We are the stewards of this thing. And so God wants to rain down a fresh Pentecost on our region. The division, you know, we're we're seeing, and, and, and let me just, there are those whose whole framework and, and, uh, their mentality is Division. It's the politics of envy and division. And we end up being identified by our various traits, whether it's our gender or our race or whatever. But it's very clear in Scripture. In Christ, there is no male or female. There is no Jew or Gentile. We're all one in him. We are believers. We're we're sons of God. Now, the fact is that where this whole racial division came from, where it really began to happen was at Babel. Where man, man's agenda erected this tower that God had to come in and bring confusion to their languages. So people began to group around the, what they understood and they became, uh, uh, you know, kind of clustered around that and that genetic pool began to be increased so that we took on certain traits. 
And we began to be distrustful of people who didn't look like and sound like us. It is not a coincidence that Pentecost was bringing unity through another language. And it's not a coincidence that today's Pentecost, with all that's going on, that what the, God had to disperse the nations through language and confusion, but he regathers them through the outpouring of the Spirit. There is one Spirit, and it's the Spirit that makes us one. It's our common union, our communion. It's what makes us one. We, we are partakers of the divine nature. Now, the fact is, you still need to celebrate your ancestry. There are things deposited in your genetic code, whether it's your family or even your ethnicity that you bring to the table of humanity that's very valuable. Don't lose that. That's a wonderful thing. Amen. Kara's reaching over and kissing her Mexican husband. When I was in Bible school, I was, I, they kind of looked at me as a wannabe because I hung around all the Latinos. I was like the Oreo. I, you know, I was the white middle because I had all my Latino friends and I'm still dear friends with them today. There was something about the Latin American culture. I just loved them. And I, I had no idea that God was going to be sending me into Latin America when I, well, I was going to say when I got older, I don't like to refer it, but it is. It's, you know, in my older years that I would go in and out of Latin America, but there was a seed of affection that was already there. There's something that they bring to the table. I was thinking about a church that we helped start 15 years ago down in Laredo, Texas. It was a good friend of mine, one of my dearest friends in Bible school, Jose Renteria, tremendous man of God. And he called me. He had been working at a church. I didn't know the whole story until I went down and preached the 15-year anniversary last year of his church. And uh, he and his wife were living on a riverbank, and they, they talked the neighbor into running a hose to their house so they'd have some running water. They were living in abject poverty, pastoring this little church. And it was just a hornet's nest of division. And, and uh, finally, he said, I'm done. God released him. And he started building houses. And he was making a lot of money. He, was, he drove me through the, the section of town. I mean, there's these big, beautiful homes. These are all the homes he built. And then the Lord said, I want you to pastor. And he's like, oh, man. <laughs> and he looked for help in starting this church. He went to the district because at that time, both of our churches were uh, of that particular denomination. And so he said, he went to their district and they wouldn't give him any help. He went to the Latin American district of that denomination. They wouldn't give him any, give him any help. And he called me and he said, Dave, would you guys help us? So we prayed and I took it to the board and John Lemmix, this is what John came back with. John said, pastor, this is what I felt like the Lord showed me. He told this to all the board. He said, you were born in Duluth, Minnesota, which is the top of I-35. And he is in Laredo, Texas, the end of I-35 goes from Canada to Mexico, and we live right in the middle. And John, you realize that what you were talking about was what Cindy Jacobs prophesied about five years later, about an I-35 corridor, God visiting that, yes. Isaiah 35. And so he, he said, I think we're supposed to help him. And the board all looked at each other, yeah, I guess so. Like, I'm thinking, these guys are weird. I've never heard of that kind of reasoning. Now that's just normal around here, you know? But this was when I, you know, this is fairly early on. It was like 16 years ago, 17 years ago now. And uh, 
Anyways, we helped him start this church. He, he has a, a Spanish service, an English church service. They have a school. They had a TV ministry. They went over across the border and started a church on the other side. Just a wonderful thing. But I was there last year, and as we're worshiping, Jose says to me, he says, he says, Dave, look at that. See that guy over there? He said, that man and his family are illegal immigrants. That family, they drive up from the other side of the border to worship with us. That guy over there, he's an ICE agent. He arrests illegal immigrants. He said, you see that young man? He's a, he's a DACA recipient. And they had all these different people and all these different experiences. People who were charged with arresting people who were living in a situation right across the aisle from them. And he said, there's, there's a pastor we've helped. He said, he's, he's an illegal uh, immigrant. He's over here. He started a church and he's got a great ministry and we're helping him. And he said, I, I, we needed to get him an air conditioner because their family was so hot they were dying in there. And so I threw out the call and he said, one of the ICE agents bought me a big air conditioner to put in his window. He said, when we come in here, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a, a neutral zone. We're just worshiping Jesus. The complexities of what they're going through. And yet, in Christ, they're one. You all know, if you're on Facebook, I have some pretty strong political opinions. However, I cannot let that come between me and another brother. I snapped a photo of this. Because I need to be reminded of this. I used to carry this around in my day timer. Anybody remember day timers? Yeah, I kind of dated myself, didn't I? Listen to this. I used to carry this around in my day timer. This was by Watchman Nee. To have close, constant, to have constant close association with people's People whose interpretation of scripture does not tally with ours is hard for the flesh, but good for the spirit. We may have a right, we, we may have right views, but God is giving us an opportunity to display a right attitude. We may be believing a right, but he is testing us to see if we will love a right. It is easy to have a mind. Well, this is the one that haunts me. I still think, I wrote this down 30 years ago. It is easy to have a mind well stored with sound scriptural teaching, yet a heart devoid of true love. Oh, for Christian tolerance. Oh, for largeness of heart. Alas, that many of God's children are so zealous for the light that they immediately label as outsiders and treat as such all whose interpretation of Scripture differs from theirs. God would have us to walk in love toward all those who hold views contrary to those so dear to us. Nothing so tests the spirituality of a teacher as opposition to his teaching. And if you can't say amen, say oh me. This one right here, nothing so tests the spirituality of a teacher as opposition to his teaching. God has called us to be people of love. Last week, we were talking about intercession and how intercessors are priests and kings. As kings, we've been given authority. We have authorization from heaven to shape events in human history.
But as priests, we're representatives. Again, a priest, to the people he represents God, but to God he represents the people. We're to be men and women of God. Jesus was the God-man, and in turn, he's filled us with his spirit so we could be men and women of God. That before man, we can represent heaven, and before heaven, we can represent earth. Right now, God needs those who will be representatives of earth and cry out for our city and our nation and the world. There's a lot of up people right now, and I believe there's more on the horizon. Talked to Joel Budd the other day, and he shared this story. He said in January, he had an encounter with an angel, and he said it was very aggressive. Now I'm like, well, what does that mean? I didn't ask him. I wish I would have. What's an aggressive angel like? You know, I don't know. I mean, Jacob had one. I don't know if Joel's limping, but he said it was very aggressive. And he said, Lord, what's going on? What, what, what? And he saw the angel just wave his hand. He said, a big mailbox showed up. And this was in January. He said, it's on record. He said, I released it. And uh, the angel said, disruptions are coming. Disruptions are coming. And he saw the colors of spring. And the angel told him, it starts today. The Lord told him, it starts today. Disruptions are coming. And then he saw the colors of fall. And then he saw an outpouring of the Spirit of God. He said it was overwhelming. And he said there was a release of such great authority on the church. And he said there were tremendous miracles. And he said the joy was overwhelming, the miracles. And he said it was so overwhelming that I almost forgot about the first part of the vision. In other words, he said what's coming is going to swallow up our memories of covid and I asked him, I said, Joel, do you feel like this, th- this is the first? And he said, all I'm telling you is the Lord said, disruptions, plural. And he said, I have a, he said, I saw the colors of fall, and I believe there's another disruption coming this fall. And he said, my sense, well, he, he, he said what he thinks it is. He said, but the Lord didn't tell me that, so I'll just leave that out. I believe that that was a real encounter from the Lord. I know Joel. I respect Joel. He's got a history and he's got a track record. And what he declared in January, we're in the middle of right now. And whether this is, some of this, I am convinced has been instigated by heaven. Some of it, no doubt, has been instigated by hell. And it's above my pay grade to really sift that out right now. But I do know this. That God is shaking things to make us dependent on him. 35 years ago when I was in Bible school, God began to speak to me for a season of about six months. And I, I just kept hearing this phrase, it'll be the best of times, it'll be the worst of times. It'll be the best of times, it'll be the worst of times. And I believe we're on the front end of that. I believe that there's some shaking coming, but for the believer, it's going to be the best of times. The difference is whose hand you are holding. The church is going to come into its finest hour. God is going to bring the church into a place where we can be the answer. But you better pass the test of love. Because you will disqualify yourself. You will lose your voice. God cannot authorize you to let things sling out of your mouth if you're going to let the wrong things sling. And so we've got to have our hearts right We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. 
And we need to say, God, there, there are things I don't understand and I don't need to understand to pray for people on either side of this situation. Lord, I'm asking God, visit them because they know not what they do. If Jesus could pray that for people that were literally crucifying him and laughing in his face, how much more can you and I, standing off on the sides, pray that for those? Amen? I want us to go ahead and stand. I want to do a couple of things here. Greg Kinzel, did I see you here this morning? Wave at me. Come down here. I want you to come on up here and stand with me. And uh, I'm telling you what, I want, to, I want us to do something this morning. I want us to turn around and face Des Moines. And I want us to just put our hands up and let's begin to pray for our city. This metro area over which God, that, that is within our jurisdiction. We are responsible. Jeremiah told the, Jew, the Israelites, he said, pray for the prosperity of your city. For in their prosperity is your prosperity. What happens to them happens to us. We are intercessors standing between. And so just begin to pray for Des Moines. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your purposes for this city. Lord, we thank you for what you have for this, this metro area. Lord, you created this place with great purposes, eternal purposes. And Lord, we agree with them. We say yes, Lord. We say yes, Lord. And we, we issue a cease and desist order to the enemy in the name of Jesus. We command you to take your hands off. You you stand down in the name of Jesus. That spirit of violence and chaos in the name of Jesus. Stand down in the name of Jesus. Through the authority of Jesus Christ and his ecclesia, we command it. Stand down. Lord, we bless our city. We bless our city leaders, Lord, with wisdom to rule over us, Lord, to, to govern us. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless the police forces. Lord, we ask that you'd give them wisdom and extra grace. Lord, a grace of love that is beyond their capacity to work up on their own. Lord, to suffer long and not retaliate in the name of Jesus. Lord, when they're spit upon, Lord, that there'd be grace to step back and not escalate, but de-escalate in the name of Jesus. And Lord, for those in the community, God, God, that are hurt and saw those pictures, Lord, and it was just a reminder of the feeling of helplessness that they struggle with. Lord, I'm asking God that you would baptize them on this Pentecost with love, Lord, with love, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask for an out pouring of your spirit on your church, an outpouring of your spirit on this city in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.